the laws of spiritual farming. There are some definite laws that we have to follow or we'll, we'll have failure. If we follow them, we'll see success happen. And I feel that it's important for us to understand these things, especially those who are newer Christians, to understand these principles and these laws so that they can use them every day to, in a biblical procedure, see God able to use them. Also, to keep the enemy from discouraging and defeating them in their daily walk with him as new Christians. Law number one is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest. Now, I want to make that very clear to young Christians because many times they get very, very discouraged. Would you turn with me to Matthew, the ninth chapter? Matthew, the ninth chapter. And the last verse. I can start with verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I don't know why people think we haven't got that same privilege today, but there it is. Jesus did it. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the what? Lord of the harvest that he will send forth or cast out laborers into his harvest. I want you to notice a couple of things there that he is the Lord of the harvest, that he is the one that has to cast people out into the mission ministry. He's the one that has to put us out into the harvest field. Where's the harvest field? All around us. He's got to put within our heart a desire and a hunger to do it. And it is his harvest field. It's not ours. Now you say, well, that's obvious, Pastor Webb. Well, I, I want to say that because First of all, I want us to understand that you and I cannot save anyone. It's very important that we understand that. We are not soul savers. God says that we're simply witnesses. And soul winning is the Lord's work. If you'll bring that down into your spirit, you'll begin to be able to relax and flow as God wants you to flow. I've seen some Christians get so upset and uptight because they witness and witness and they don't see any fruit and they finally get discouraged and they give up. And the Lord never one time said, ye shall be soul winners. He said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And soul winning is his work. He is the source of all spiritual life. And if he doesn't impart spiritual understanding, if he doesn't impart conviction, if he doesn't impart spiritual life to someone, you can talk till you're blue in the face. It won't do any good. You only have to obey the Lord and realize he's the Lord of the harvest. You're the laborer and he has to bring forth the fruit. We're laborers under his authority. That's why we should be laborers. If he thrusts us into the field, then we have his authority. We go forth in Jesus' name. Do you think for a moment that I would stand before Loretta there and say what I said if I didn't know that I had the authority to say what I said? Mark the 16th chapter. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out demons. Some people go, <gasps> not today. Well, that's what Jesus said. These signs will follow them that believe. I'm a believer. We have people sitting right in this congregation tonight that had one physical affliction after another that thought that it was just a physical affliction and by the authority of the name of Jesus, they're free tonight. Now, when you get that down in your spirit, if you're out there and you're witnessing to other people, you begin to recognize I'm here because I have the authority to be here. I'm a believer. But he does it all. All I can do is be a channel, a carrier. He has to do it all. 
Then it gets a little bit exciting. We're the laborers. He's the Lord of the harvest. We're under his authority. We're under his direction. And that's where we have to be very careful. I have to read the word and make sure that as we're, we're witnessing and so forth, we're doing it in line with his word and understanding the principles of God's word. We're under his power. Let me tell you, when the day comes, you start saying, these are the hands of Jesus. When I lay these hands on you, you'll be healed. You're in problems. You're in trouble. These are not the hands of Jesus. These are hands of a channel. What did Hannah say in the Old Testament? She says, I am simply a handmaiden of the Lord. What did Mary say? Whatever you want, Lord, I'm just your handmaiden. Just go ahead and do whatever you want to do. When she got all done, she didn't say, look what I have produced. She said it was his authority, his direction, his power, his wisdom, his love flowing through us. And I'll tell you another thing. You and I cannot get people into the kingdom of God with our own love. It's got to be God's love flowing through us. A different type of love completely than what we can do in the natural and so as his laborers, we have his authority, his direction, his love, his power, his wisdom. That's the first thing. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Second, quickly, the seed is the word of God. Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Luke, the eighth chapter, verse 11. Let me just tell you something. There will never be a harvest in the Lord's harvest field without the Word of God. It's absolutely essential. I can have all sorts of eloquence, but I've got to use the Word of God. I can have no eloquence, but if I have the Word of God, I have the seed. And that's why the Word of God says to hide the Word of God away in your heart. Be ready to give an answer to anyone that asks you. The Word of God is all of it is inspired. God breathed and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Get the Word of God down in your heart because the entrance of the Word giveth light. And no one will ever be saved except upon the basis of the provisions of God's Word. Now let me tell you something. There are a lot of people who think they are saved, but they are not saved according to the provisions of God's Word. And if they're not saved according to the provisions that are described in God's Word, they're not saved. Some people believe I'm saved because I was baptized. Some people believe I'm saved because I was sprinkled. Some people believe I'm saved because I'm in such and such a church. That isn't what the Word of God says. And if the seed doesn't say it, then it's not going to bring forth the fruit that God wants to bring forth. And a person has to have the seed before they're going to see new life. Look at Romans 10, verses 13 through 15. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now then, from that, there's some conclusions we can come to. First of all, no one can become a Christian without receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what it said there. They have to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. No other provisions are going to make it. And that's what the Word tells us. Second, no one can receive Christ without, first of all, believing that He is the Lord Jesus Christ. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that progression. Yes, I believe that God is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I believe that Christ died for my sins and rose again. I believe I'm a sinner and I'm lost and I need to be saved. If they don't believe that, it's impossible for them to come into salvation, into the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, no one can believe until they hear the gospel. Not everyone that hears the gospel is going to believe, but no one can believe until they hear the gospel. That's why we need to get the gospel out. Now, there are some people who have a philosophy today that those poor people over in the other fields who have never heard God in His grace and mercy is still going to save them. Do you think that? Well, Brother Webb, they've never had an opportunity to hear. I mean, they've never heard of Jesus. That's why we have the calling of God to people like Virgil Adams, Jim Reed, Les and Sandy Plett and others. Because God calls them and sends them out to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. But the word says in Romans 1 and 2 that every man has that witness down in his own heart. That there is a God and that he will earnestly seek after that God. God will make a way for him to hear the truth. If he has to send a man all the way from here around the world and drop him out in the middle of a jungle in a plane wreck to get him there, he'll get a man to him to tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can give you illustration after illustration that that very thing did happen. But men cannot be saved without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and no one can hear until someone tells them. There's not a person here tonight that is born again of the Spirit of God that was born again of the Spirit of God without at least somebody telling them about it, hearing it somewhere. The Word of God is the seed. We have to go out with the seed. And by the way, that seed is so full of life, it's just pregnant with a life, just full of You get the Word down in somebody's heart. And they'll never be the same again. Oh, they might go on. In fact, if they're going in the wrong direction, sometimes they'll go all the harder because they fight and resist the Word of God, but they'll never be exactly the same. Once that truth gets into them, they cannot be the same. But I just want to say that it's not your and my Christian testimony that convicts people of sin. It's great to have a testimony, and I thank God that I can give my testimony, but that Word of God getting into their hearts with it, confirming what's happening in your heart with the Word, is what causes men to come under conviction. It's not the vain philosophies of men that are going to convict men of their sin. It's not your love that's going to convict men of sin. It's got to be the Word of God. It's not going to be somebody that's going to be able to, to be very persuasive in their talk. That's not going to convict men of sin. Neither is the fact that you dress very well or your demeanor being different from someone else. It's the Word of God, the seed. That's the only thing that will go into the heart of a man and convict him of his sins. The Lord is the Lord of the harvest. The Word of God is the seed that has to go into that heart. And the Word says that that Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You don't know what people are thinking in their heart, but boy, you put the Word down in there, and it'll tell them suddenly what they're thinking in their heart. Men will think, I'm not so bad, and the Word of God say, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. <gasps> and God will burn that into their heart. <gasps> Me? And you can argue with it, and the Spirit of God says, yes, you are, and begins to point out, point out, point out, boy. I heard some time ago, my father-in-law used to always get about this after he'd heard about this old colored preacher said he had learned to sit loose. He says, I sit loose. And I tell you, it's taken me a lot of years in my ministry, but every day I'm sitting more loose all the time, and I'm depending more on God to do it, and if he doesn't do it, it's got to flop. Someone said not too long ago that if the preacher has to push it, it doesn't deserve to live.
And so the Spirit of God's got to do it. Well, I'll tell you, the Word of God is the only thing that's going to do it. And as you teach the Word of God, if it doesn't change the lives of people, they're not going to be changed. I can jerk them inside out. I can scratch their foot. I can rub their back. I can, you know, do all those good things. And it's not going to make one bit of difference. If the Word of God doesn't do it, let's go home. That's why it's important for us to know the Word of God and that it's all got to be done by the Spirit of God through us. I say that so you don't get discouraged. When you go somewhere, God lays it on your heart to witness. You just go say what you feel God would have you to say and try to find some Scripture verses that confirm what's happened in your heart. For example, you go up to someone and you tell them, I just want you to know that my life has been transformed. I've confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He's come in and He's transformed my life. And I found out that the Word of God said in John 3, 16, For God so loved me that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes into Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believed into Him. He came into my heart and I have everlasting life living in me. Now you've got a portion of the Word of God in that person's heart and they'll go away saying, the Spirit of God will say to them, Yes, whosoever believeth. Whosoever believes, if you'd believe, you could have peace too. You could have eternal life too. And that's the way the Word of God does. He takes his little pulpit and sets it up on the foot of that person's bed and just continues to work in that person's heart. Down to the thoughts and the imaginations of the heart and begins to tear down all those fortresses I told you about. Law number three. Every seed sown does not result in the salvation of a lost person. I'm going to say that again. Every seed that is sown does not result in the salvation of a lost person. Luke, the 8th chapter, verses 5 through 15, gives the parable of the sower. And if you go through that parable of the sower, you will find that the work of Satan is, as I said a while ago, to discourage saints and to close the mouth of excited saints about the gospel of Jesus Christ by causing people not to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Running them into people that just do not respond. They go away saying, what's the use? Nobody else getting excited. They're all getting mad at me. I'm just going to quit. And there are a lot of saints that expect every time a seed falls out of their mouth into someone's ear that fruits are going to come right forth from it. And I want you to understand that isn't what the word of God teaches. You have to remember again, we're not in control of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. Don't get discouraged. We're the laborers under His authority and we're totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And our responsibility is to live holy lives. Our responsibility is to be learning every day, to be consistent in our walk before the Lord as much as possible. And when we're not consistent, ask Him for forgiveness and cleansing and get up and go on and confess that we're not consistent. Confess that we're weak, but He's strong and we're trusting Him to strengthen us. To go on rejoicing day by day that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. To walk as a compassionate person understanding the needs of other people. That's our responsibility. But then, in the parable it talks about four different kinds of soil. The first one was stony. The seed bounced up and down and rolled all over the top of it. And didn't, the word says later on, that was the heart that was hardened. And they didn't even understand the word. And Satan came and snatched it away. Well, that's one kind of soil. There's one seed that fell and bore no fruit whatsoever. The next one was what? The shallow soil. It was on stone. A little bit of dirt on top of a rock. 
The roots went down in and it sprung forth into life and it looked exciting, but the heat came up and the pressures of the day came up and burned it up and it dried up and it died. Now there's two seeds. One of them looked like it was coming to life, but it died. The third one fell into ground that was filled with weeds and thorns and thistles and it sprung forth, but then the weeds and the thorns and the thistles, which were the cares and the riches, the deceitfulness of riches of this world, choked it out and it died. Now there's one more. That's the, the, the fruitful, the good ground that brought forth a hundredfold. So what it's saying is that out of every 100 people that I might witness to, if I do no better than what the Word says, three out of four of them are not going to listen to me and they're not going to respond. Now, you know, when you do that in spiritual realms, people just tend to get discouraged and say, nobody's interested, everybody hates me, I'm going out and eat worms, I give up. But you know, the, if you ever work for Fuller Brush, I'm told that they, they say, you go out and expect, I think it's 50 or 60 doors to be slammed in your face before you make a sale. Incredible. When you do it, say, oh boy, <laughs> that hurt. That hurt. I only got 45 more to go, though, and I'll make a sale. My shoe is all bent from people slamming the door of my shoe with my shoe in the doorway trying to talk to them, but just 42 more to go, and I'll get that first sale. And that's the attitude they give. You mean you've gone to 150 now and haven't gotten anything? Just think, in the next few, you're going to pick up three sales. And if we can begin to put into our mind, Jesus said in his parable, three out of four of those seeds didn't bring forth fruit. Don't get discouraged. Keep on witnessing. Their motto in, in Fuller Brush was, if you want to make more money, see more people. The more people you see, you're going to hit an average. You're going to get so many of them. Just keep seeing people. And if we can just understand that, keep witnessing for Christ. Keep sharing. Keep being that laborer in the harvest field. Faithful, consistent, compassionate, loving, determined that God's power is going to work through you one way or another as you're obedient to Him. But just think about the end result there, though. It says that the 25 that do respond, they spring forth fruit a hundredfold. So you witness to 100 people, and if only 25 respond a hundredfold in, in their lifetime, that'll be 2,500 people to come to Jesus Christ. And that isn't bad odds, is it? And if those 2,500 go out and witness to 100 each, you see what happens suddenly? The whole earth would be one to Christ. But what Satan has done is shut people's mouths because they say it doesn't work. God can't use me. I, I've just tried and tried and nobody listens to me. If we know that only three, one out of four is going to listen to us and we run into a, a group of about 20 that don't listen to us, we've got some exciting days coming ahead and that's the way we ought to look at it. God's going to use it. I expect God's blessing to be on me. I've prayed for it. I've ex I'm expecting it. I'm going to try to be as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. I'm going to be patient and I'm going to believe that God says he'll bring forth fruit in my life. And let me go on and say this. If you only won one person to Christ and witnessed your whole lifetime, it would be worth it. Amen. One soul to Christ, if that's all God had for you to do, and you were obedient. When you stepped through that gate, he would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, to you, just as much as he would to Billy Graham, who's won literally thousands to Christ, or whose ministry has won thousands to Christ. But the important thing is that we know he's the Lord of the harvest, the seed is the word of God, and that we do not go out and count seeds. We just cast the seed. The sower went forth to sow. Now that's different from sowing, planting corn. When I used to plant corn with my dad, or potatoes, my dad would walk along with a stick and poke a hole in the ground, and I had to come along, I was a little more limber than he, so I'd stick that potato or that corn down in that hole, three little ears, uh, kernels of corn in that hole, and I'd stomp on it, and he'd poke another one, and I'd drop in three and stomp on it, he'd just go along poking the holes. Now that's one kind, but it, he didn't talk about that kind of sowing. He says the sower went forth to sow. And the sower just takes a fistful and goes like this, and just keeps sowing. 
And he doesn't go around and say, oh, oh, I'll bet that one seed over there, oh, it's sitting on a rock. It won't grow. I'll go pick that one up. He just says, I'm going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep sowing, and the crop's going to come out. I know. Sooner or later, I'm going to have a harvest. God help us to ask the Lord to cause us to be faithful, steadfast, expectant witnesses for Him. Now, I have seven laws of, of spiritual farming that I hope will encourage you as a Christian to know that God, God knows where you are and God knows what you're doing. And if you'll just be obedient to His Word, you'll see fruit in your life. Daniel 12:3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? They that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As we continue in the message of laws of spiritual farming. Remember we talked about it last week? Now we're going to review. What are the first three laws of spiritual farming? The first one is what? The first law is Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Okay. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will thrust forth laborers into the harvest field. And that we can, with our only authority to witness is his thrusting us forth. He is calling us. He is giving us that commission. The authority, the power, the wisdom, the direction, all those things come from him. Second, what's the second law? The seed is only, the only seed is the word of God. That can't do anything with our own capabilities. And no one can receive, no one can believe, no one can comprehend the kingdom of God without the word of God. It is a live seed that brings forth fruit in our hearts. And no one is going to be able to hear the gospel unless there is someone to tell it. The third law. That's right. Every seed sown does not result in the salvation of the soul. What was the one illustration that Jesus gave us? He gave us some kind of a percentage to go by. Three out of four may not believe that we witnessed to. And so we don't look at the three that don't, but we'd rather look at the number that we witness to, knowing that before long we'll hit an average and if we get one out of four that does receive Jesus Christ, to whom we really have opportunity to witness, the thing that we ought to realize is that that 25%, when it begins to let fruit grow in its life, it says it'll multiply a hundredfold. So if you win a hundred in your lifetime and they multiply a hundredfold, you're talking about, what, 25,000 people, aren't you? I guess exciting. All right? Now then. The fourth law, and it's a very important one, know where the credit belongs when it comes to sowing seed. Know where the credit belongs. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, I want you to understand this because today churches, many churches are filled with unsaved people who have been led through a prayer. You know, there's hardly anyone, if you'll give them enough arguments and corner them enough and finally come down to the final statement and say, can you think of any good reason why you should not accept Jesus Christ right now? And they want to say, no, I don't want to, but they have to say, no, I can't think of any good reason why I shouldn't, but there is no deep conviction of sin to where repentance needs to come in many times. Consequently, they'll say, no, I can't think of any good reason. Well, then just say these words, and we lead them in a prayer, and they say, yes, I believe. Well, then, praise God, you need to be baptized right quickly. Now, what I'm sharing with you 
I have seen down through the years of my ministry people come to the altar and say, back there I did this very thing. I prayed a prayer. I went forward. I got baptized. I joined the church. I got busy as a bee. I really worked in the church. But I was never saved. And they're just sitting in the church, discontented. Many of them just as enthusiastic and believe me. Many of them are the hardest workers around because there's a, a drive within them that maybe I can just do enough. Maybe I can somehow get over this guilt problem. Maybe I can, you know, really come to the place where I feel like, hey, I, I'm going to make it somehow. And the churches are filled with them. So we've got to remember when we're sowing the seed that we're not the converters. We're the witnesses. And when the time comes that they'll come to us and say, men and brethren, what shall we do? We don't just say believe. Say it's time. If God is showing that you need to be saved then you need to get down whatever he's convicting you of and showing you ought not to be in your life. You get down and you tell God you don't want that in your life anymore. You tell God that you want it gone from your life right now and you're going to declare that you no longer want it there, that that does not belong in your life anymore. You're separating yourself from it now. You're going to reach out by faith and trust the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away all your sins and you're going to let him come in and become Lord of your life. You know, in evangelism, I used to just really tear up some churches because the minute people would come forward, the counselors would come up with their card and start asking them their name and address and everything else. And I'd say, now counselors, I want you to stand over there on the other side of the room and pray. Those of you that came forward, how many came forward to get saved this morning? How many know that God has convicted you of sin in your life? And they'd raise their hand. I'd say, I'd like for you to move right over here. And they'd wait for me to start telling them how to pray. I said, now, how many of you know that God's convicted you of your sin and you know that you're lost? I said, then God evidently has shown you something in your life that caused you to know that you're lost. I want you to get on your knees right there now. And I want you to tell God, call that sin by the right name. Tell him exactly what it is. And that you recognize that that sin needs to be confessed and that you don't want that sin in your life anymore. Don't let anybody come near you. Don't listen to what someone else next to you is saying. You just deal with what God the Holy Spirit is showing you. And you know it was an amazing thing. Before long, one began to cry, another one began to cry, another one began to cry, and began to just really weep before the Lord. And I'd say, now, if you've dealt with that thing and you've confessed those things that God's convicted you of, I want you to say, now, Father, I recognize that I'm lost. Because of these sins, and by faith, I'm believing that Jesus died for my sins, and I'm asking him to come in and wash away all my sins and make me his child. And you know that crying would even become more violent sometimes, or they'd begin to break out into laughter and, and just joy. And I'd say, how many of you know God's done a work in your heart? And they'd raise your hand. I said, now, would some of you counselors come and deal with them? rest of you, don't let anyone get near you. You just let God deal with you. And after leaving those churches, many times the pastors would tell me that the fruit that came from that meeting was lasting fruit. Why? Because I didn't let that church become a group of converters. I let the Holy Spirit do a work of, of conversion in that person's heart to where they turned away from their sins and by faith trusted Jesus Christ. And that's the work the Holy Spirit has to do. So we have to be very careful that we don't go out and start picking fruit before it's ripe. Let God bring that fruit to fruition. When souls get saved, we should rejoice and praise God that they were saved and give God all the glory for it. Know where the credit belongs. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. What does it say there? So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. When anyone gets saved, even if we have witnessed to them for three years, we can't take the credit. We did nothing but what God told us to do. Now he's going to reward us for it. Understand that. We can't say, see what I have done. We have to say, I am just a simple, humble servant. I am a sower of the seed. And God has seen fit to convict this person of their sins. And God's gloriously saved them. I give him all the glory and I give him all the praise, right? 
There's nothing worse than go around and saying, let me tell you what a soul winner I am. <laughs> nothing worse. Now, catch what I just said. It's not your fault that they get saved. God the Holy Spirit does the work. And contrary-wise, I'm trying to deal with guilt now. Neither is it your fault if they don't get saved. If you sow faithfully, it's not your fault if they do not confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know what I'm saying? Again, if it's not your fault when they get saved, you're just faithfully doing your job. If you're faithfully doing your job and they don't receive Jesus Christ, don't go away feeling guilty. God has everything under control. If I'm learning nothing else in my ministry, I'm learning more and more to sit loose. It's his work. If it doesn't get done, if he doesn't do it, <laughs> I'm just wasting my time thinking I'm going to do it. And I've seen a lot of guys in the hospital who thought that they could do it for God. We're supposed to be vessels filled with the Holy Ghost. We're supposed to walk and everywhere we go, we're supposed to splash Jesus Christ in the love of God and the, let the life of Christ flow out through us so others can see Jesus Christ in us. And when they ask us why we are the way we are, we tell them. And if they don't ask us and we don't have opportunity to witness, we don't go away saying, oh boy, I must have really blown it. So if people get saved, we say, praise the Lord. If people don't get saved, we say, praise the Lord. God still has everything under control. Maybe God's going to save them 20, 30 years from now just because they didn't let me do it. Maybe I was just supposed to water. Maybe I was just supposed to plant the seed. God's going to bring the increase later. See, we, we've got to quit going around trying to pull them up by the roots and say, have you got any roots yet? Nope. Mm, boy, I don't know what to do yet. Let God do that work in the heart. Give the credit where it's due. You can sow the seed. You can water. Uh, a lot of times we almost drown them in hopes that they're going to sprout roots more quickly. But God has to do the work by the Holy Spirit. And he'll only do it by the implanting of the Word. A lot of people want to get people saved by just saying, do this, do this, and do this. But they don't get saved on the basis of God's Word, and so they're ten times worse off. Jesus said of the Jews, he said, you go all over the earth trying to find proselytes, and when you finally find them, they're ten times harder to try to win and get them to see truth anymore because now we're sons of Abraham. We don't need that. He says, they're in worse condition than they were if you'd have left them alone. Law 5. The Lord of the harvest rewards every Christian who is a faithful sower. The Lord of the harvest rewards every Christian who is a faithful sower. Look at verse 8 there. 1 Corinthians 3.8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And... Some of the men shall receive their reward according to their own labor. Is that what it says in yours? What does it say? Every man shall receive his own reward. It's important to know that God has a special reward just for you and just for me. Now, maybe God will see fit that I'll, I'll win 80,000 souls to Christ before I die, and maybe you'll only win eight before you die. But God doesn't look at the number. God looks at the faithfulness. That's why I've said some of the best known people around the world out in the religious circles that are doing all these huge ministries may not be the ones with the largest rewards. God may give the largest reward to some man that has been faithful just to be a servant in a very quiet place way back somewhere where he's just ministering to sick people. Never known by the world. But God's standards are different, see? The greatest reward you and I can ever have is to know that Jesus Christ is pleased with our lives. Not that the pastor is pleased with your life. Not that the deacon is pleased with your life. Not that your wife is pleased with your life. But that the Lord is pleased with our lives. And the only way we can know that is by searching the scriptures and knowing what God desires for our lives. 
but to know that he's pleased is the greatest reward in, that we can possibly have. Now, I'll admit to you, seeing somebody get, truly get born again of the Spirit of God is a thrilling thing. Just to see new Christians, you know, just so hungry and growing in the things of the Lord. And the Word says they'll get a soul winner's crown in heaven. I might just say that it doesn't make any difference if any man sees or if any man knows what you're doing for the Lord. Some people just feel that everybody needs to know what they're doing for God. Let, let me tell you what I'm doing for the Lord this week. But God says, first of all, in prayer, go in the closet and don't tell anybody. Just, just tell me what it is. Ask me in secret and I'll reward you openly. The same thing is true. You don't have to go around letting everybody know. If you'd quit, if, not you, but if people would quit using so much steam for the whistle, they'd have more room, more steam for the pull. And if they just go around pulling and doing faithfully what God wants them to do, not worry about whether someone else sees them, I'm talking about every area of faithfulness. There are a lot of people today in many churches, if they can be seen, if they can be heard, if they can be up front, if they can be, you know, leading the pack, they're glad to serve. But if it's sweeping a sidewalk or cleaning the church or working in the nurseries or changing diapers or, or you know, something like that, taking just a bowl of soup over to someone that's sick, that's not as exciting. But I want to tell you something. God is just as pleased with somebody that does that, if not many times more pleased, because you remember what he said to the Pharisees? He said, now you men who are Pharisees, you go out on the street corners and you raise your hands on the street corner during prayer time. <clears throat> and you begin to pray and everybody looks and says, oh, look, look, listen to that man pray. Glory to God. Woo! If I could pray like it. What a spiritual man he is. But what did Jesus say about that person? He says, verily I say unto you, he already has his reward. He got what he wanted. He got the praise of men. But when you pray, find a closet somewhere, storage room somewhere, old woodshed somewhere. Get away from everybody. Get all alone and just pour your heart out to God in secret. And your Father in heaven who sees in secret will reward you openly. He says, I'm not for grandstanding it. I, I'm for those who just are quietly consistent in their walk before the Lord. You know what's interesting to me is I think of the prophet Elijah when Naaman the leper came to him I mean, now you try to get the picture. Here comes Naaman. The scripture said he had just piles of riches for him, clothing and gold and silver, a big entourage of all of these soldiers, officers around him. And he comes riding up to the home of Elijah and uh, he sends a runner ahead and said, Naaman, uh, the, the, the great general is coming. And Elijah was inside and he said, okay. And so when Naaman pulls up, here stands Elijah's servant. Naaman gets off and looks around and says, where's, where's the prophet? Where's the prophet of God? He said, well, he's in the house. He said, well, tell him to come out here. He said, no, he just told me to tell you to go down and dip seven times in the river, Jordan. He what? Tell him to come out here. No, no, he just said for you to go ahead and just go down to the river Jordan and dip seven times. He felt for sure that they should have had ABC, NBC, and CBS there. He felt for sure that this man was going to come out and pray that huge prayer and lay his hands on him and lightning was going to flash, it was going to flash and the thunder was going to roll and he was going to turn into a baby skin again and walk away. God doesn't work that way all the time. And so he went away saying, aren't all the rivers in my country much cleaner, much sweeter, much purer than that stinking old dirty Jordan River with dead cows floating down through it? Why should I get into that slime when I can go to my own river? God doesn't grandstand it. His servant said, well, if he had told you to do some great feat, you'd have been out doing it, wouldn't you? Because you'd have gotten a little bit of self-glory and felt like, boy, I've earned it now. But he told you to go over there and you're not willing to do it. Why don't you just go do what he says? He went over and he dipped seven times. He came out of it. When he came back, <laughs> he was sure now the prophet was going to come out so he could really give him all these rewards and everything. He got back to the prophet's house and he said, tell him I've got all these things for him. The prophet said, servant, you go out and tell him I don't want anything from him. 
Just give God the glory. And that's a prophet of God. That was a prophet. No grandstanding. His servant, of course, went out and chased after him and said, boy, this is a good chance. I'm passing up a good chance here. And he went and said, I need two garments. We've got some seminary boys that don't have enough clothes. I need a couple of garments and, and a little bit of gold and silver. He says, okay, then no problem at all. He gave it to him. And he came back and he said, where you been? Oh, he said, just been around here. He said, I saw you when you were there and the man was dismounting from his animal. And I know what happened and I want to say to you that the leprosy that was on him is going to come on you now and all your family from this time forth. What I'm trying to show you is that he didn't have to grandstand it. He just knew that God gives the increase. Jesus knows and he'll reward everyone. He rewards that person that might just write a letter when there's a need or make a phone call and pray with someone. I, I had an opportunity to call long distance not too long ago when I heard of a death. And I called the husband. His wife was found dead in the bathroom. And I, I just said, I, I just felt I was supposed to call and pray with you. And when the rest of the family got there, they started writing me letters saying, Pastor Webb, all this man could say at the funeral was, no one will know how much that prayer that I received unexpectedly from Joe Webb lifted my spirit. I wish I could have that on tape to play it over so that I could just pray it over and over and over again. Now, I didn't know it was going to be that kind of a blessing. Now, I know that God knows. I don't tell you that to say, hey, I'm tooting my horn tonight, blowing the whistle, but I'm saying God sees just those little things. Right where you are, at school, at the job, just saying those little things will cause them to be aware that God's alive. The teachers, the preachers along the way, the parents, the soul winners who sow the seed, the Christian friends and neighbors, the pastors, the evangelists, the personal workers, the radio and television ministers, Christian publications, no matter what they do, when they have an influence on someone for Christ, the reward is going to be theirs in eternity. So give the glory where it's due and know that the Lord of the harvest rewards every Christian who is a faithful sower. Then the sixth one, the harvest... The harvest is perennial. The harvest is perennial. That means it lasts through the whole year, annual. It's an annual harvest, continuously. Not once a year, but continuously. It's a perennial thing. John 4.35. John 4.35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already under harvest. I'm told in Florida that it's possible to get three crops a year in some areas, some, some types of farming. And different ones will plant different crops a week or two weeks or three weeks apart so that there's a continuous harvesting of crops. But the Lord tells us, as far as the ministry of the gospel is concerned, continuously be planting seeds. Now, we're going to be planting different types of seeds with different types of people according to their different needs. And some seeds just pop right up in just no time. Other seeds take a long time for them to pop up. So it's important for us to continuously, continuously be sowing so that we can be continuously expecting a harvest to come along the way. Now when I say that, as we're going throughout the world, we're not going to be right there when every harvest comes due. But if we've planted the seed and it comes back, up back, and remember the Lord knows that you planted that seed or the Lord knows that you watered that seed. And if you're continuously sowing, you will be continuously harvesting. The last point is joy and weeping are partners in sowing and reaping. Joy and weeping are partners in sowing and reaping. Psalm 126. Joy and weeping are partners in sowing and reaping. Psalm 126.6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, 
shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There it is. He that goeth forth and what? Weepeth, having a burden, an earnest, honest burden before God that you want him to use you as a soul winner, shall doubtless come again with what? Rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now a sheave, what's a sheave? It's the mature crop, isn't it? When we come before the Lord, that harvest is going to come, the sheaves of those that we have won. We didn't even realize many of them. Those sheaves are going to be gathered up to us when we stand before the Lord. There are a lot of people who have gone through life with just nothing but weeping and weeping and burden and burden and burden and have no idea of the crop that's been behind them. When they stand before the Lord, what a glorious time it's going to be of rejoicing when these come up and say, that one planted a seed in my heart and I found Christ. And this has been the fruit that God's brought into my life. Think of the excitement of that. Contrarywise, think of the tree which Jesus found no fruit in and said, I curse you, you'll never bear fruit again. To stand before him empty-handed. The songwriter says, shall I empty-handed be when beside the crystal sea? In other words, when I stand before the Lord, am I going to be empty-handed? If we're empty-handed, it's evidence that we have not faithfully sowed the seed. But just let me ask you something now. How long has it been since we've really, sincerely, recognizing this, wept over a lost soul? How long has it been since we've said, Lord, I realize that if you don't save that person, they're going to go out into Christless eternity. I had an opportunity this week to kneel down with a man and put my hand on his head and ask him, Lord, please save this man. Save him. And tears came into my eyes. I said, God, the devil's had this man's hit body, mind and body for so long. I'm asking you to bind the enemy and cause this man to be saved. And I'm confessing, Lord, you're going to let the Holy Spirit do a work in his heart. That these words that I'm saying to him are going to get into his heart and he's going to be born again of the Spirit of God. And I prayed for, I suppose, four or five minutes over that man just asking the Lord to do a work in his heart. I went away, and you see, he didn't get saved right then. But every time God brings that man back to my mind, I'm saying, Lord, I'm confessing a, a hedge of thorns around him. I'm confessing a wall of fire around him. I'm confessing the, spirits of, the Spirit of God is working in that man's heart. I'm just asking you, Lord, to take the words, the seed, the word that I put in his heart, the verses that I gave him. I'm believing you that you're going to bring forth fruit. And that's it. I had a burden. Last night, I was just praying and concerned and and I was up, I think last night I must have gotten about a total of two hours sleep. God was laying things in my heart and I was praying and seeking his face. And, and, and I said, Lord, it, give me a greater burden for these things. Give me a greater sense of the fact that I need to walk with you and be obedient to you and trust you for the end results. And I just wonder, how long has it been since we've really wept over a lost soul? How long has it been since we've really been concerned enough to witness to someone that needs Jesus Christ? And then just note this further truth in Galatians 6, 7. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also what? And then in the ninth verse, notice what it says. Galatians 6, 9. Read it with me. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, underline if, if, if we don't quit. You know what it means? It doesn't mean, you know, spurt, stop, spurt, stop. It says, just keep it up. Don't get weary in well-doing. Keep it up. Be consistent. You will reap it when? In due season. In His time. 
Don't set time limits on the Lord for fruit. I found out a long time ago, he knows better than we do when he wants to deal with people and bring them to himself. Recently, somebody got saved, and I'd like to have seen them saved. I know another fellow would like to have seen them gotten saved years ago. But God had his own special time to have it happen. And God knew exactly what kind of circumstances to bring to pass to where that person just, boom, God just <laughs> dropped a hydrogen right, right on top. And this person just had to bow down and say, Lord, I just give you my life. Now, we always apply that to evil. Be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever man so that shall also reap. But remember, God also applies that to the good. To the work that we do for him. So he's now remember, you're not going to go unrewarded. Remember, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to enlighten you. Don't give up. Just keep on. Don't worry about whether other people know about it. You do it as unto me and let me take care of the end result because I promise you that whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Verses 6 through 8. You're going to use a spoon or a bucket? A scoop? What? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as the pastor purposeth in his heart. No. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. You determine what you're going to give, and in doing so, you determine what you're going to receive. Amen? So let him give. You determine how much you want God to give to you by how much you give to him. So let him give, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loveth a hilarious giver. That's what that cheerful means, a hilarious giver, who just doesn't say, well, I guess I have to give again this week, but glory to God, I have the opportunity to give of myself more to the Lord this week than I did last week. Of everything that I am, everything I hope to be, I've just been able to give more and more, and Lord, next week I'm just trusting you're going to give me a chance to even give more of myself. And he says the proportion to which we do that, that's the proportion, not the next week, but in his due time, when he sees fit, that he's, we're going to reap. But it's coming just as sure as night follows day. And God is able to make, and God is able, God is able to make, what? All grace abound. Now look at, look at this sufficiency here. No, no room for insufficiency here, need or lack. All grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every or all good works. Glory to God. You talk about spilling over. There it is. But it's all determined by what you give. You know what it says there? Every man, now you purpose in your heart, decide what you're going to do, and I'll, I'll re reciprocate. Now, I didn't establish that. God established it. An example. Hannah was barren. She went to, to the Lord. She said, Lord, if you'd just give me a son, God, just give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Now, we all know that God listened to that prayer and God gave to Hannah, who? Samuel. Do all of you know that Hannah prayed for Samuel? And God? How many of you know that? All right. What else did God do for Hannah? That's right. Three more sons and two more daughters. Exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask. I think. She said, Lord, just give me one son and I'll give him back to you. God said, I like that. And I'm going to open your womb and I'm going to give you six children. So he, never, he never cuts you short. 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, beginning with verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, 
Well, first of all, he had been at the brook Cherith, and the ravens had come to feed him there, and there was a, there was a drought in the land, no rain for three years. 1 Kings 17, verse 8. Verse 7 says, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So the rhema came to him, the word of the Lord, the rhema came to him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Already told the widow woman. And so he obeyed. Verse 10 there, he arose and went. Second, uh, the obedience of the widow, verse 10 through 15. And he, uh, it said in the last part there, uh, Behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks of sticks, and he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And she was going to fetch it. As she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, By the way, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that my, we may eat it and die. Now understand something. God evidently had already told this widow, Feed the prophet. Sure will, Lord. Uh-huh. I hope he's not very hungry. One fistful of meal and just a little bit of oil in the bottom of the cruise. Now you understand, God many times asks us to do the impossible when we don't have the provisions to see if we'll be obedient and we step out by faith, then he begins to bless us. And see if we're willing to step out by faith and believe him for it in order that he can bless it and we can say we didn't do it, the Lord told us to do it, we just began to do it and God had to make the provision, we didn't have it. And Elijah said to her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Give me first, and then you and your son. And you know that doesn't go along with some theology today, does it? I'm going to get all my bills paid, and if there's anything left over at the end of the week, I'll give that to the Lord. And he said, No, no I know you haven't got very much left. Just go make some for me and bring it to me, and then take whatever's left over for you and your son. And you know, some people would throw a fit and fall right in if some preacher ever said that to them, wouldn't they? But he said what God had told him to say to that widow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Verse 15, And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. She was willing to sell out of her want in order that her needs might be met. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. I think you should turn to that so you can mark it. Galatians 6.10 Based upon the fact that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest, based upon the fact that He is going to reward us accordingly, and that none of us are going to get by doing anything for Him, but we're going to re He's going to reward us according to the amount that we do it. He's going to reward us. It said here, Galatians 6.10 as we Christians have therefore opportunity, when the opportunity arises for us, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Paul's saying, if you see someone, especially a brother or sister in the Lord, who has a need, who has a burden, who has a problem, and you have the capability and you have the, the wherewithal to lift that person and to help that person and to support that person and to strengthen that person. He says, you take that opportunity and you do it as unto the Lord and as to the degree in which you do it, you're going to get it back. Isn't that what he's saying here? All the way through? Don't be deceived. Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. How many times have you seen Christians, see other Christians in need, and they pat them on the back with a non-negotiable God bless you and send them off? 
I'll be praying for you, brother. We'll just, we'll just hold you up in prayer this coming week. And they have the wherewithal to help that person in that situation. And they don't do it. Paul says, don't do that. When that opportunity comes to you, if God has given you the provision to help that situation, you do it and you believe that God's going to meet your needs in your time. Because He's the Lord of the harvest. Malachi, the last verses now. Malachi, the third chapter. Malachi, the third chapter. Verses 8 through 11. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, oh, wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. He says, now you sow. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven. And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. Saith the Lord of hosts. I will open. I will pour. And I will rebuke. What he's saying is I long to bless you. And I'll only be able to bless you to the extent that you let me. I'm the Lord of the heart. I'm talking about soul winning. I'm talking about loving. I'm talking about giving. I'm talking about every area where God gives us opportunity to allow our gifts to flow. For we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. He said, now I, I want you to just become my vessel, me living in you, and just let my life flow out through you. The faith of God flow out through you to others. And they'll look and say, what is it about you? Why are you so different? Why do you help me like this? Why are you like this? And then you'll be able to give an answer. Luke 6, 38. Luke 6.38 Now this is the cardinal principle of prosperity. Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same scoop shovel that ye scoop with all it shall be scooped to you again. With the same crane bucket that you scoop it shall be crane bucketed to you again. Whatever measure we use, with the same eyedropper that you drop, the same drops will come back to you. And then Proverbs 3, 9. Proverbs 3, 9. So I'm asking, are we sowing seeds in our witnessing so that we can see that harvest come back in that day? Honor thy Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. I'm not just talking about the material things here, but I'm trying to show you that this is a principle, this is a law of God. When we sow and we give, God is going to give back to us. And I just want to say, are we sowing a crop? Are we sowing it perennially? Are we sowing it with the understanding that every seed is not going to bring forth a soul? Are we sowing with the understanding that God, our Jesus Christ, is our Lord of the harvest, and we're just His workers, and we're just doing what we're supposed to do, sowing the seed wherever we go. And we're leaving the rest up to Him. Watering the seed that's in a heart. Somebody will come and say, well, you know, such and such said to me the other day that, that I needed to be born again of the Spirit of God. And somebody's put a seed in their heart, you see. And you say, oh, you know, that's, I'm so glad they shared that with you because a, a few years ago, I didn't understand what that meant until they explained it to me. And this is what they said to me. And I can't tell you what a joy and a peace I've had in my heart since I committed my life to Christ. I repented of my sins and asked Him to in my heart. And what did you just do? You just poured water on that seed. And they think, ooh, somebody else believes that way too. What kind of a crop are we sowing? God wants every one of us out there scattering seed all week. 
And when we come in, if we go out with weeping, we'll come back rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. And it's not all going to be in eternity. We're going to be able to say, look what the Lord allowed me to do. Win this one, and this one, and this one, and this one to Christ. So quit thinking of whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap in the negative. And begin to say, glory to God, there's a promise I can claim. If I sow the seed, I can expect without doubt in eternity, I'm going to have a harvest. Praise the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, make us to be soul winners. Make us to be laborers, Lord. Cause us to put tracks in our pocket, verses in our heart, and to be asking you to just open opportunity after opportunity to allow the Lord of the harvest to use us as vessels unto glory. Lord, we want to be soul winners. We really want to allow the Word of God to use us as your messengers, as your servants. Not counting the sheep, but simply sowing and watering, believing that in that day you're going to bring the crop to fruition. Lord, I know that there's no greater joy than for a Christian to be able to win another person to Christ, but I know the enemy is doing everything he can to defeat and discourage. And I'm just asking that you would put within us, each one of us, a spirit of boldness that we'll have our hearts prepared and to know that we're not going to be able to reach everyone, but that doesn't make any difference. We'll at least be able to witness to everyone, and then they're without excuse when they stand before you. And Lord, even then, we're going to be able to stand before you and receive a reward and hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. As we look forward to the meetings that are coming up, in Jesus' name, minister. In Jesus' name, minister to us as a body of people. Let the Holy Spirit do a new, exciting, deep, penetrating, soul-searching work for each of us to begin to understand and see God's plan for our life. I thank you for this body, Father. I thank you for what you're doing in this body. I thank you for what you're going to do. And Lord, I just thank you that you've given to us a rhema and we're standing in that and we're believing that and we're going to see it come to pass in the days ahead in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.